0: Hi there. Thank you for choosing to listen to this sermon. We pray that God would use this as an added resource to benefit you in conjunction with you belonging to a local church near you. This sermon was preached at Central Baptist Church, Pretoria. 130 years of believers loving God, caring for one another and impacting the world. Love that song, as we talk of a holy God and as we talk of him rescuing us from our failings. Um, yeah, it just elicits uh, such a response, doesn't it? I need to give my glasses time to breathe. <laughs> Friends, I'm going to ask if you would turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 5, Acts chapter 5. So we continue a, a sermon series, really looking at how churches grow. How do churches grow? This morning we find ourselves in Acts chapter 5. I'll be reading to us verse 1 all the way through to verse 16. Could I ask as many as are able, in honor of the reading of God's word, to please stand as I read from God's word. I read to you from Acts chapter 5, beginning at the first verse. Hear the word of God. But a man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and bought only part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words he fell down and breathed his last and great fear came upon all who heard it the young men rose and wrapped themselves up and carried him out and buried him after an interval of about three hours his wife came in not knowing what had happened and Peter said to her tell me whether you sold the land for so much and she said yes for so much but Peter said to her How is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever were added to the Lord multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Just so far in the reading of God's word. Amen. Please be seated. Allow me to pray as we enter into a time of teaching. Father God, even now, would our hearts ascend into high worship and praise of you as we give attention to your word. Lord, Might that praise cause your word not only to be understood in our heads but sink down into our hearts and be believed. And then, Lord God, might your word spill out into our lives as we live lives transformed to your honor and to your praise, to your glory. This I ask that we, your people, might worship you rightly even this morning. In the wonderful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. In 1516 the Englishman Sir Thomas Moore wrote a short work of satire. In the book he described an idyllic state, an idealized island, and he coined the title of his book Utopia. It's a catchy title we use the word today, utopia, to describe an idyllic and imaginary society. Now, Yazza, did you know that you won't find on the back of a Chappie's bubblegum wrapper? Actually, I don't even know if you get Chappie's anymore. <laughs> when I was a kid, kids, you used to get Chappie's. And at the back, after you opened it up, it had did you knows. This is a did you know you wouldn't find on the back of a Chappie's bubblegum wrapper. The word utopia transliterates a Greek word, utopos. Utopos is a compound of two Greek words. The first word, o, means not, and the second word, topos, means place. Utopia is not a place. Utopia is nowhere. There's irony here. That idyllic, imaginary society that Sir Thomas More wrote of, utopia, doesn't actually exist. It is a fiction. In the end of Acts chapter 4, it has a utopian feeling to it. Luke describes the early Jerusalem church in idyllic terms. His description of the church is of a unified charitable community of believers. And it's almost too good to be true. Look at verse 32 of chapter four in your own Bibles together with me. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. And there was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and bought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to each as any had need. They were of one heart and soul. This was a unified people. Unity is very important Jesus. You can hear it in his prayer on the night on which he was betrayed. He said, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. And later he said that they may all be one, Just as you, Father, are in me and I am in you, so they may also be in us. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. Unity is important to Jesus. And this kind of spiritual unity that we see in Acts chapter 4, it results in practical works of charity. There was not a needy person among them. No one said of any of the things that belonged to him that it was his own. But they had everything in common. Christian love in action. Christian benevolence. We saw this in Acts chapter 2. Many of the saints that were saved on the day of Pentecost were from out of town. These pilgrims depended on the goodwill of others. They needed help. And so the saints sacrificed for their brethren out of charity. They loved one another. And so out of that love, they sought to outdo one another in showing honor. They were kind and tender-hearted to one another. They showed hospitality toward one another. Now out of that group of Christians, one man's generosity stands out. His name is Barnabas. It says in verse 36 of chapter four, "Thus Barnabas." who was also called by the apostles, uh, sorry, thus Joseph, who is also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and bought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Luke elsewhere in the book of Acts calls Barnabas a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And he says that through his ministry, a great number of people were added to the Lord. Barnabas was a Levite and a native of Cyprus. Under the old covenant, Levites were not allowed to own land. We're not told how this Levite converted to Christianity, nor how he acquired a tract of land, but we can imagine the joy. That he must have felt as a foreigner owning a piece of land for himself. There were people around Barnabas who had need. And he didn't currently have need. And Barnabas valued people over possessions. So he let go of his property which must have been of some value to him and gave the proceeds to the community, which was of greater value to him. The generosity of Barnabas stands out. As well as the unity and the charity of the early Jerusalem church, it was a beautiful picture. It was an attractive picture. It's the church I'd like to be part of sign me up i'll tag along with that group of saints that unified charitable community of believers utopia but utopia is not a place it's a no way utopia doesn't actually exist it is a fiction The Garden of Eden in Genesis 1 and 2 was utopian. It was perfect, created in untested perfection. Where our first parents walked unashamed and naked. Rulers of a kingdom full of joy. Never marred by any pain. But all too soon... Adam and Eve fell to that master of deception. That Levithan, Satan, who twisted the simple truths which they had heard. Adam sinned. And just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all have sinned. Utopia doesn't exist because sin exists. Utopia is nowhere because sin is everywhere, even in the church, even in this church. It says in our text in verse one of chapter five, but a man named Ananias with his wife, Sapphira sold a piece of profit uh, of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and bought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles feet. You feel that something's gone wrong in the story because of that word, but it's a contrast. Between the utopian beauty of the first church and the fallen world reality of the church today. We can't know exactly what motivated Ananias and his wife Sapphira. Covetousness, greed, pride. They may have seen... Barnabas's generosity and desired some of the the same recognition that he had received, but without the sacrifice. They may have covenanted in their heart to surrender all, but when the time came, they wanted a nest egg for a rainy day. And so they lied. They gave only part of the sum to the apostles. The name Ananias means God is gracious, but this man would soon learn that God is also holy. And the name of uh, Sapphira means beautiful, but her heart was ugly with sin. And sin bears consequences. I imagine that Ananias thought that he would get away with it. No one would know. No one would find out. It was his little secret, but God knows. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. And so in our text in verse 3, Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. I imagine that Ananias thought that this was such a little thing. It was a private matter. No one would care about this trespass, but sin bears consequences. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For one sows to his own flesh and will from the flesh reap corruption. In verse 5, when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last, and great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and Carried him out and buried him. Imagine for a moment the thoughts of those young men with the spades. They came to church that morning and enjoyed some singing. There'd been some prayers. And everyone was ready for the sermon. Those who bought gifts and offerings came forward. You like Ananias. Everyone admires Ananias. Ananias is one of us. And he goes to the front and hands over a fat bag of coins. What a man. What a generous man. But Peter stands up and accuses him of lying to God, the Holy Spirit. And the next moment, Ananias is dead, stone cold, dead. You drag his body off out of the city and dig a hole and plant him five foot under. And as you're walking back, there's a kind of shocked silence between all of you. As you arrive back, as you walk through the door, God takes Sapphira's life also. No wonder. Great fear came upon all. I imagine that those young men struggled to sleep that night as the demonstration of practical holiness that they had witnessed spun through their minds. We read in the text that after an interval of about three hours, his wife came in And when the young men came in, they found her dead and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. It's one thing to hear a sermon that the wages of sin is death. It's quite another thing for a sinner to fall down dead in the middle of the worship service. That's what happened. Ananias and his wife Sapphira lied and died, believers can fall into sin, believers can love money, believers can love the world, believers can be filled with pride, believers can desire the praises of men and believers can do far worse. And I understand Ananias and Sapphira to be believers because Luke counts them as part of the full number of those who believed and were of one heart in Acts chapter 4. And because they knew the Holy Spirit, even though they agreed together to test him in Acts chapter 5. And so I must ask the question this morning, are you a believer? Are you in present Sin. Do you think that the Lord doesn't see into your heart? Do you think that the Lord will not be stirred into action? Of course he will. What son is there whom the father does not discipline? Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits? When the Corinthian church abused the Lord's table, Paul said to them, Let each person examine himself, because it would be foolish to eat and drink without discerning the body, and so eat and drink a judgment on yourself. Here's the startling bit. Paul says to the Corinthian church, That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. Stop playing with sin. Sin bears consequences. In the text before us, verse 11 of chapter 5, then great fear came upon the whole church and all who heard about these things. People were dropping like flies. and That was unsettling everyone. But not everyone wanted the early Jerusalem church to flourish. Peter and John had already annoyed the priests and the Sadducees. Now the church's enemies must have thought, well, that's it. This kind of church doesn't stand a chance. They'll have to close their doors now. After all, if you come out and hang out with us, you could end up dead. That's not a great advertising campaign, is it? Except for this. A church purified from sin, set apart from the world, is exactly the kind of church that God will use and turn the whole world upside down with. A church where his spirit is not grieved by sin is exactly the kind of church that his spirit will fill empowering it and emboldening it. We read in our text that that's exactly what happened. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem and more than Ever believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that even they carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow may fall on some of them. And and people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Miracles. Signs and wonders break out in Jerusalem. Miracles are supernatural interventions where God overrides his natural order. Signs give a stamp of divine authority. In this case, the signs authenticated the authority of the apostles. Wonders relate to the marvel that is stirred up in the hearts of the witnesses. Contrary to expectation, the church grows and grows and grows. No longer is the early church 3,120 souls or even 5,000 souls. Now so many men and women have come to the faith that Luke has stopped counting. The Lord is building his church, and he is doing it as he purifies it from sin and sets it apart to his glory. Application. Are you shocked by the death of Ananias and Sapphira? Shocked that God judges sin? Shocked that he would judge this sin so severely. Shocked that God would take action. Shocked that he would take this action. I understand that. This is a shocking story. Why would God destroy Ananias and Sapphira? Friends, because one man's sin affects everybody. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Sin, if not dealt with, will infect the whole community. Because you cannot steal from God. He is the Lord. That is his name. His glory he gives to no other. Because their shocking story stands as a dire warning to us today. A warning that God sees sin. A warning that God hates sin. A warning that God deals with sin. And a warning that God will deal with your sin. A shocking warning for your benefit. Rid yourself of remaining sin. Examine yourself. Do it now. Believer, is there sin in your heart that you are coddling, nurturing, harboring? God sees it. Sin God hates. Sin God will deal with. That sin, cut it out immediately. Turn from it. Repent of it. Do it at once. Do it urgently. Do not delay. that's all very well and good to say to a saint, a saint who has fallen into sin, a son or daughter who's returning to their heavenly father and saying sorry, a saint who is assured that he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But what do you say about me, you ask? I've sinned. My sin is stacked up against me. They are dreadful and foul and heinous. And I'm not a child of God. I know of him, but I'm not yet one of his children. Is there any hope for me? Who is my only lot wrath and fire and fury? Friend, your sins are foul, you are correct, and they stain you like scarlet, like filthy rags, they bear witness against you before a holy God, but there is hope and hope bears a name, Jesus. He died for your sins. He died. In your place, the righteous for the unrighteous, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He has paid it all, the price that your sin deserves today. Turn from your sin and place your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. You cannot save yourself from the wrath of God, but he can. Believe in him and receive his free gift of eternal life to the church. Take note. The Lord is building his church and it will be a holy church, a purified church, a bride, to be presented to him in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. We are to be that church, that pure church. To be a pure community, we must seek the spiritual restoration of Christians who are ensnared by sin. We cannot gloss over sin as a community. We cannot leave brothers on the battlefield of life. If we see a friend ensnared by sin, any sin... We must launch a rescue mission. This is a call to courage. This is a call to care, to be a pure community. We must protect the purity of our fellowship. That means that we must warn brothers and sisters, spouses and children, friends and family of the seriousness of sin. Of the consequences of sin. We cannot be silent. We must avail a measure of grace to the sinning brother. This is a call to involvement. This is a call to tenderness. This is a call to compassion for those around us who fall. To be a pure community, we will have to confront brothers and sisters from time to time and call them to repentance. It might be that if they refuse to repent, we will have to take two or more believers to confront them. And if they refuse to repent to those witnesses, might have to come and take the matter to the church. And then together as a church, we may have to plead with them to repent. And finally, if they still refuse to repent, we may have to regard them as outside of the fellowship. This is a call to boldness. This is a call to holiness. This is a call to righteousness. This is a call to us to be separated from sin. To be a pure community, we may have to act out of love, hoping and praying and intending restoration. Because if we are to be the church that our Lord is building, the kind of church that He will grow, we are to be a pure church a church that is set apart for his glory, a church holy. May he strengthen us where we are weak, aid us where we are faulty, and grow us to his own praise and glory. Amen. Let us pray. Lord God, all of us long for a time when there is no longer sin in us, around us, but only holiness and righteousness and perfection and your son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and our savior. But until then, Lord God, would you work in our hearts and in our minds and move us from one degree of glory to the next that we might live lives to your praise, and to your glory. We pray for our church, Lord. We pray for Central and we ask, Father God, would you be so kind as to purify us from sin? Would you treat us as sons and daughters and discipline us toward godliness that we might glorify you and be a city set on a hill whose light cannot be hid? Would you do this? For the sake of the glory of your son. Would you do this Lord God through the indwelling power of your spirit. And would you do this that your great name might be praised in this place unhindered. These things we pray in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ our Lord and our Savior. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon. Find out more about Central Baptist Church at www.central.org.za.